Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, our health care system staggers from crisis to crisis to crisis. And during this new Premier's uh, four-month tainted leadership race, not once did we hear a single policy with respect to health care. Not once, Mr. Speaker. Our health care system in British Columbia was once recognized as one of the best in the country. Today, it ranks amongst the very bottom. One in five British Columbians who cannot access a family physician. Cancer care wait times among the very worst in the country. Our hospitals, our emergency departments are in total chaos with wait times, young parents worried about their young children spending up to 15 hours in emergency departments trying to get urgently needed care. Hospitals in Surrey, here on the island, in Vancouver, and right across the province are overrun, and we've got six sick children that are being treated and resuscitated in hallways. It is worse than hallway medicine. It's literally hallway CPR. Now, Mr. Speaker, leadership means having the ability to make tough decisions. And once again, I want to ask the new Premier. He now has an opportunity. We've asked the Health Minister repeatedly to do the right thing and resign so that we can get someone in here that knows how to fix problems. Will this Premier do the right thing, fire his Health Minister, and make sure we get someone in there that knows how to fix problems and improve the health care system in British Columbia? Premier. Thank you. Uh, The member is right that our health care system is under incredible stress. Uh, health care workers have gone through the pandemic. They've worked extended hours. We have a, a very significant flu and respiratory virus season that we're seeing having impacts across Canada. Actually, it was just this morning. Uh, I was on a call with premiers across Canada, uh, leaders of the territories, uh, talking about uh, the challenges that they face in their provinces and territories as well around health care and how we're all going to work together with the federal government to address this critically important issue for families. I, I, uh, I can't imagine the feeling as a parent uh, going to a hospital when the care is not there when you need it, when you expect it for your own kid. Uh, this is a priority for our government. Um, talked about housing, talked about public safety, talked about a strong economy, but healthcare is foundational for British Columbians. And we have taken important steps. The health minister has taken important steps. You saw recently the agreement with family doctors to get increased access to family doctors for British Columbians. You saw expansions at UBC and the Faculty of Medicine to train more people. You saw that we brought healthcare workers back in to the system and hired thousands and thousands more to address this strain. 602 new nurse training seats, fast-track credential recognition. Speaker, the work is not done. We've got a lot more to do. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, boy, do you ever have a lot more to do. I've been a health minister. I can tell you, I can tell you. Members, 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 
leader of the official opposition has the floor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have been a health minister when our health system was considered the top in the country. But I also know, Mr. Speaker, that, it's a t that the health care system is a tough portfolio. And I know, Mr. Speaker, that while I was health minister, we saw challenges too. There was H1N1, there was SARS, there's always going to be stresses on the system. But never have we seen a situation where even the current Premier's predecessor described our system correctly as crumbling. It is imploding upon itself. And there is such a massive gap between their lack of understanding that announcements are not outcomes. Making announcements does not produce a better outcome. We are getting terrible outcomes in virtually every measurement in the healthcare system, Mr. Premier. In cancer care, we hear devastating stories of wait times that are some of the worst in the country. They've ballooned from weeks to months, and it has real-life impacts. A young man in his 40s, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, waiting eight weeks for his first consultation and dying only three days later. We hear of women with urgent gynecological cancers who can't get appointments scheduled until March of next year, guaranteeing, virtually guaranteeing, that these cancers will progress and in some cases will become incurable. And we've heard the story in this legislature of Feyre Kruger, a retired nurse from White Rock who was diagnosed with skin cancer and has endured eight weeks waiting on a wait list. A retired nurse who spent her life helping others, now having the system let her down. Since I raised Fyra's case three weeks ago, things have gotten a lot worse. And doctors have now told her she will likely lose her ear, part of her jawbone, facial mobility, and her sense of smell and taste. Delays and cancer wait lists mean that Feyre now faces permanent disfigurement, and the system has completely failed her. And so many others, sadly in many cases, that will be individuals that lose their lives. Will this Premier recognize that the healthcare system needs leadership, leadership that can focus on outcomes, that is paying attention to the right things that we have to focus on, measuring those outcomes, holding people accountable, making sure that if we're not getting improved results that people are being removed, changes are being made so that we can get the improved outcomes that British Columbians deserve. Will the Premier do this? Premier. Honourable Speaker, if someone uh, has a diagnosis of cancer, they shouldn't have to wait for the care they need. And, uh, and I agree with the member this far. Uh, it is unacceptable to have people waiting for cancer care like that. Uh, we are investing in diagnostic equipment across the province. We're investing $10.1 million to hire 25 new oncology physicians. We increased BC Cancer's base funding by $41 million to expand services. These are all very serious issues, Honourable Speaker. I wasn't going to raise it, but the member raised his record. I will mention his health minister in 2009. He forced, he forced health authorities to absorb $360 million in cuts.
Member for Prince George Wilmot. Thank you very much. And the Premier may want to be careful with his words in this House because one thing I can assure him of, the budget for health care went up every single year exactly. that this side of the House was in government. And let's be clear, the Premier is out making a blizzard of announcements and pouring money into areas that he's trying to fix after he had those files for more than six exactly. years, and at the same time has failed to make a single comment on the state of health care in British Columbia. Meanwhile, the crisis has gotten worse, and it's so bad that families who arrive at BC Children's Hospital with a sick child, and I do know the Premier can understand what that might feel like, they need urgent care. They are waiting up to 12 hours for that care. Not acceptable. Other families are dealing with the trauma of cancelled surgeries, like the parents of Nash. Nash is six months old, and the optimal time to have his surgery is right now. But last week, the Premier may be interested to know that his heart surgery was cancelled in British Columbia under this minister's watch. His father said, and I quote, obviously we think of how long can, the delay, can we delay the surgery without having long-lasting impacts on him, and also for the other families that are in exactly the same situation. More than ever, it is time for a change in direction, and the Premier now has the opportunity to do that. Will the Premier do the responsible thing fire his health minister and find somebody who is going to pay attention to the outcomes that matter for British Columbia's families. Yeah. Minister of Health. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, thank you to the member for her question. Uh, when surgeries are delayed, um, I know uh, as Minister of Health, everyone in the health system uh, takes the matter exceptionally seriously. In March of 2020, we delayed effectively 30,000 surgeries. And our commitment in surgical renewal was to make that up, and we did, 99% of them completed, Honourable Speaker. In a pandemic, in a pandemic year, because of surgical renewal, because of the 300 new surgical nurses that we hired, because, Honourable Speaker, of the 70 new uh, device processing technologists that we hired, uh, we were able to complete record numbers of surgeries. In fact, Honourable Speaker, in the last two weeks in October, we did more surgeries in British Columbia in some of the most challenging circumstances than has ever been done before. Now, Honourable Speaker, when you're facing a pandemic and, a, and the challenges of dealing with inf influenza and RSV and other conditions, especially for children right now, you do have to adapt in the healthcare system to respond to that. And we're doing that. That's why we prepared in September for what is going to be an exceptionally difficult fall. We've made preparations, as we did in 2021, as we did in 2020. And yes, Honourable Speaker, in 2021, for example, 
We delayed a lot of surgeries in the Northern Health Authority and mobilized to, to bring 160 people in critical care down to, to the southern part of the province. Yes, we did that, because that's preparation and that's action, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Prince George Wilmot, supplemental. Well, the minister can, uh, can talk about those surgeries, but his words mean very little to Nash's family. They have a six-year-old child whose heart surgery has been delayed. And that's not the only surgery that's been delayed. And it's not the only situation that families are facing. The minister knows outcomes matter. And currently, for British Columbians, many British Columbians, they are afraid that if they get sick, they are not going to get the care they need in this province. And that is unacceptable in the province of British Columbia. One other story of the many, many, many that I know the, the minister hears about too. Let's talk to about Rachel Thexton's story. Her five-year-old son had pneumonia, and her two-year-old daughter Naya had been sick with a fever for nearly a week. She first tried to go to BC Children's Hospital, but it was obvious that they were completely overwhelmed. So what did she do? Desperate mother, two children. She turned around and went back to her home in community of Burnaby to another completely overwhelmed emergency waiting room. And at 4 a.m., her sick two-year-old just begged her mom to go home. Here's what Rachel had to say to the minister. During this entire time, we're at six plus hours. There was no communication. No one came in, talked to her, or even looked at her, or take, took her temperature, end quote. So they left the ER and went home. Those are the stories of British Columbians. Those are the outcomes that this minister stands up and chooses to ignore every single day. For the minister, it's time for him to do the right thing. It is time for him to resign, to step down, and for the premier to stand up and make sure that someone's in charge who cares about outcomes for British Columbians in this province. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, um, I would say, um, as a Minister of Health and as a person in BC, I care about every single case. And members of this House know I care about every single case. When cases come to my attention, and they do every day, we provide the support, all the support we can. We have gone through a period in every health system in the world that is without precedent. And British Columbia, as a province, because we came together, including, let me say, members of the opposition, we came together and did exceptional things together on surgeries, on diagnostics, on response to COVID-19, on one region of the province supporting other regions of the province in preparing for some of the most difficult challenges we've ever faced. The staff at BC Children's Hospitals and in BC pediatric units around British Columbia are doing exceptional work right now. And we are taking every step we can, every step we can, to support them. And, Honourable Speaker, and I say this to everybody in the House, we are also standing up the largest immunization program in the history of British Columbia, the largest in the history. We are going to have more people immunized against influenza this year than ever before in the midst of a health care crisis, 
and Honorable Speaker, 1.5 million uh, so far immunized with a bivalent COVID-19 vaccine. But I say to everybody, it's time to book your vaccination. This is an important time. Uh, uh, Honorable Speaker, uh, the opposition may moan. This is a critical thing for people to do. The influenza is preventable. Right now, as we say, largest campaign in history, about less than 20% of children are immunized against influenza. Book our appointments today and let's all get immunized. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. My question is to the Premier. Is he in favour of the rise of for-profit corporate health care delivery in British Columbia? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, thank you Honourable Speaker. The answer is no. And that's why we have hospital employees, union members in this House today who have seen what we did to repatriate contracts throughout the health care system. That's why in communities such as Dawson Creek, communities such as Terrace, communities like, such as Williams Lake, communities around British Columbia, communities such as Surrey, communities such as North Vancouver, we're building health capital projects that are not P3s, that are owned by the people of British Columbia. That's why we work together with our province's doctors to change the way we pay doctors in BC, working together to ensure that that payment reflects the work done, reflects the, need, the care patients need, why we have continued to take steps, dozens of steps, to ensure a stronger public health care system and to work against, Honourable Speaker, the increasing privatization of the system, which is not good news for anyone. It's why we purchase private MRI machines. It's why we purchase private sur surgical centers. Why we've seen the largest, Honourable Speaker, increase in, Honourable Speaker, no staff. Honourable Speaker, they're yelling no staff. We did more surgeries in the last two weeks than we've ever done before, Honourable Speaker. In the public and it's why we changed. Thank you. Members, uh, uh, Minister Honourable, Speaker, um, Honourable Speaker, with respect to the Medicare Protection Act, we brought in uh, regulations. We uh, proclaim regulations that have been left unproclaimed for 15 years to strengthen the protection of public health care as well, and we're going to continue to do it. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, regulations to this government, uh, whether it's regulations in environmental protection or regulations in health care protection, seem to amount to the same thing. Not much at all. We've heard over and over again from the Minister. But my question was to the Premier, because under this government's watch, let's look at what's happening. Two-tier health care has been on the rise. While family doctors burn out in record numbers, some are choosing to charge for their services. TELUS Health is charging upwards of $3,000 a year for access to health care, including access to a family doctor. We've been asking this minister about this since February, and it's always the reports coming, the reports coming. Shoal Health charges $2,400 a year. Beta Therapeutics charges $110 a month. 
More and more for-profit corporate clinics are popping up, and yet nothing has been done. Universal health care was a foundational principle of the NDP in Canada. One wonders what Tommy Douglas and Dave Barrett would have to say about the conditions under an NDP government in BC today. My question is to the Premier. Will he stand up and tell British Columbians his position on for-profit, two-tiered health care in British Columbia and whether that is the future that he sees for this province? Members, members, members. Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, I'm uh, opposed to extra billing for medically necessary services, and the Medical Services Commission has been taking action again and again and again to deal with it. They are dealing as well with the TELUS health issue, Honourable Speaker, which I, Honourable Speaker, referred to them because I take that issue so seriously. It's why we are, we are in, we are in, Honourable Speaker, a province of laws, which means the Medicare Protection Act in these matters is enforced by the Medical Services Commission. And Honourable Speaker, no one would want it any other way, Honourable Speaker. But what we're doing, Honourable Speaker, in particular in important ways, is, to, Honourable Speaker, to improve the public health care system, in particular, Honourable Speaker, in services that people used to have to go and get private care for. When, when under the previous government, we only did 174,000 MRIs in 2016-17, Honourable Speaker, what that meant for people is they had to go and get private care, pay for care that they shouldn't get in the public system. And that is why, Honourable Speaker, we increased the number of MRIs in the public system by 120,000, purchased private MRIs, and improved care for British Columbia. And we're Member for Nechako Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I had a different question planned for today, but uh, given the topic, uh, I think it's appropriate to stay on the topic of health. Uh, in my riding, um, we have seen similar health problems as we've heard now from, uh, from the opposition. And I have to say, it was back uh, under Gordon Campbell when uh, he said uh, that the issue of, of um, uh, mental health, but in particular the issue of dementia alone, would sink the health care system. And the toughest job would be the Minister of Finance to be able to provide enough funding for the system. And unfortunately, through, this, through the years, uh, we haven't seen a lot of changes. Across Canada, in 2020-2021, more than 26,000 people died on the waiting list for diagnostic or, surg or surgical services. In Fraser Health, that number was about 321 people that died waiting for those services. We have a healthcare system, quite frankly, that is in crisis. We have a system that is not meeting the needs of the people in this province, whether that's in rural BC or whether that's in urban BC. And the challenge, quite frankly, I see when this came to court just this summer was the government basically argued that the system was more important than patient outcomes. And that was with a case against Brian Day and his surgical centre that came out. So the question through the Minister, through you, uh, Honourable Minister, or I mean Honourable Chair, is when are we going to be looking at a system that works in other jurisdictions 
rather than focused on a system that, quite frankly, is falling under its own weight. Minister of Health. Um, well, thank to the member for his question. Um, I just note um, that um, uh, Dr. Day brought a case against uh, the government and the people of BC, not the other way around, and that successive governments um, defended the province of BC and the public health care system against that. And I was very happy that that case was won. It's now on appeal. That's, uh, that's with respect to Dr. Day's case. The, the important fact, I think, for people in rural BC, because you do not see, Honorable Speaker, in the Northern Health Authority, the same development or for-profit, for example, long-term care or anything else in other jurisdictions, the public health care system doesn't. And we made important changes, and the member will know this in his writing, that sometimes it requires, yes, political will to invest. And that's why we're building a new hospital in his writing. There was a temporary hospital he knows built in 1972, a temporary modular hospital that should have been replaced in 1982. And we waited decades under successive governments, let's say, for that hospital to be built. It's being built now. And that allows us to improve. And it will be owned by the Thank people you. of BC, and services will be delivered by the outstanding healthcare staff of the Thank region. Thank you, Minister. And we need to continue to make those kind of investments to ensure that there's care everywhere in the, pro in the province, not just in urban areas. Member for Nichako Lake Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Chair, and I want to thank the Minister for, for his response. And we're very appreciative of the hospital uh, that will be built. Uh, the current hospital is on diversion. The current hospital is on diversion almost half the time, and there's only three doctors remaining in Fort St. James at the moment. Uh, in addition, the new hospital will need about eight doctors, and there is no staffing plan. But regardless of that, the, uh, a recent report showed that our health care system is the second most expensive in the world for universal health care. Yet we are almost dead last on doctors per patient, beds per patient, as well as wait times, um, particularly within the, in the, the critical windows. Our system is broken. We need to be looking at models that are working in other jurisdictions in the world. And the, the, the previous, previous Premier and Health Minister has gone to Ottawa and said, you know, we need Ottawa to, to put more money into the system. Well, there is only one taxpayer. Whether it comes through Ottawa and then gets wasted you know, before it gets to us or whether it comes from us, there is only one taxpayer. We have a system that is expensive and we need question, to see a system that has, has real meaningful change. European jurisdictions don't have these problems. Members, can you have a question, please? Why are we not looking at their model and trying to learn from it to get a health care system in British Columbia that Member? can actually meet the needs of people in this province? Minister of Health. Well, uh, uh, thank the member for his, um, his thoughtful question. Honourable Speaker, um, uh, respectfully, uh, BC has, in terms of its administrative costs, one of the most efficient health care systems in the country. Uh, I believe, Honourable Speaker, that we have to make investments, particularly in the communities, particularly in rural communities to support primary care in the future. We had gone from 300,000 people without a family doctor in 2003 to 908,000 people without a family doctor 
in 2017. And that trend, because of COVID-19 largely, has, has picked up again now. And so we have to take action to address that, to transform the system. We have just designed and worked on and signed with the doctors of BC a transformational agreement that in particular will help people in the member's constituency, Honourable Speaker. We have, the member talks about dementia, in long-term care, Honourable Speaker, gone from the worst record in Canada, Honourable Speaker, the worst record in Canada under previous ministers of health, I won't name them, Honourable Speaker, I won't name them, Honourable Speaker, to meeting provincial standards, Honourable Speaker, by investing in more staff in the community, Honourable Speaker. And since the 2020 election, when we promised 7,000 new staff in long-term care for infection control and to support long-term care residents, we have delivered more than 7,000, Honourable Speaker, in the short period of time. Opposition House Leader. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, uh, this uh, last week has been full of revelations about a variety of, of topics that are undoubtedly shocking uh, to British Columbians. Uh, partic a particular theme uh, has been a, a series of audits and reviews related to uh, the mess at BC Housing and Atira. Uh, some of these audits reviews have been leaked by whistleblowers, some have been uh, buried by government, and others are mysteriously apparently underway. Uh, as important as it is to look to the future, it's equally important to examine the past performance of government. Uh, and for that, uh, for that, we and for, for that, members, and for that, we have to thank the tireless work of the Public Accounts Committee. So my question uh, today is actually to the chair of the Public Accounts Committee. Uh, can the chair of the Public Accounts Committee tell us what is on the agenda of the committee and if it relates to the pressing? and important matters facing the people of British Columbia today. Member for Cambridge North Thompson. Members, 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 members will come to order. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, a guy could get used to this. Um, <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the, the Public Accounts Committee actually does have a, a quite lengthy meeting scheduled. Uh, we just finished uh, uh, finalizing that. It was originally supposed to be a three-hour meeting on February 1st to go over the Auditor General's three-year uh, rolling average uh, fiscal plans of that he plans to bring forward to the committee to review uh, and investigate. But we also have reached out to the Office of the Comptroller General uh, for that meeting, so we've extended it to a six-hour meeting as well. Um, Because both uh, the Auditor General and the Comptroller General uh, provide feedback, valuable feedback on, on the scrutiny of what's going on with spending within uh, British Columbia. So we've asked for updates on the Grizzly Bear Management Plan, uh, the Commercial Vehicle Safety uh, Audit, as well as the detection and response of cybersecurity threats uh, to BC Hydro Industrial Control Systems. But Mr. Speaker, I would anticipate on that uh, agenda um, in discussion phase with the Auditor General and with the Comptroller General, 
given the revelation uh, from the Premier yesterday, unlike the Housing Minister on Tuesday, that there is in fact a forensic audit underway of BC Housing, uh, I would fully expect that the Public Accounts Committee will be engaged uh, with that audit as it finalizes and have the opportunity to scrutinize that audit with the Controller General, the Auditor General and BC Housing, much as we've done in the past with BC Housing, the Auditor General and the Controller General. So we do look forward uh, to the previously unannounced or, or no notice to that forensic audit coming forward. So thank you, Mr. Speaker. The bell ends the question period.